Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corrine Pettit, and today's episode, sponsored by Amgen, will present a special patient story about the use of telehealth for continuity of psoriasis care. This episode is being offered as a way for you to hear directly from Amgen and may contain information about an Amgen product. From time to time, we'll share sponsored content that we think is of benefit to those with psoriatic disease. MPF encourages everyone living with psoriatic disease to work with their healthcare provider to find an appropriate treatment for them. MPF does not offer medical advice, and podcasts should not be considered an endorsement for any particular treatment. The patient presenter on today's program, Cindy, is speaking on behalf of Amgen. Please see the podcast description for links to the important safety information and full prescribing information for Otesla, also known as a Premalast, for episode number 94. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about your experiences with psoriasis and telehealth. So, Cindy, you're joining us from your home in New York City. I understand you've become quite a pro at multitasking. This year, you've been juggling the homeschooling responsibilities for your 11-year-old twin boys while working full-time and taking care of your health and your family's health. So among the many things that changed this past year, I understand that your bowling career was put on hold. You're a competitive bowler, is that correct? Why, yes. I started bowling as a kid, and my dad was a bowler, and he taught me. My husband and Ren and I bowled together when we were first dating as teenagers when we met in high school. At first, it was just a hobby, but then we started bowling competitively. I went to my first national competition in Las Vegas in 2002. Since then, I've been bowling all around the world in competitions. I competed in Vienna and London. Then in 2005, when I began experiencing plaque psoriasis, I had to stop. The blistering and the flaky patches on my body made me self-conscious. And I saw people staring and even heard the whispers, like, what's wrong with her? I withdrew from social activities and lost some of my self-confidence. There was about 10 years where I didn't even want to do anything because of my psoriasis. That must have been very difficult for you. But psoriasis certainly has a way of sidelining you. How did yours begin? Well, I began having symptoms the year before Ren and I married. I was on vacation with friends when I noticed a patch of rough skin on my arm. I went to my primary care doctor and she said it looked like a fungus and gave me an antifungal cream. Not only did that not help, but I developed another patch on my forehead. At that point, I was referred to a specialist and she diagnosed me with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. That was in September of 2005. And what happened after you were diagnosed? What treatment options did you try? In the beginning, the doctors had me on a topical treatment and then did UV treatment. I was going three times a week. I was in the light box up to 35 to 40 minutes at a time. Since I live in the city, I had to take a cab there three times a week during my lunch hour. It was very stressful commuting back and forth and rushing back to my office. The treatments didn't work for me. Life went on and I got married and we had twins, but I was still struggling with the disease. Shortly after the birth of my boys, I developed pain in my joints. I went back to my doctor who told me 
that I now had psoriatic arthritis. I was stunned. In 2016, I read online about Otesla for moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, as well as active psoriatic arthritis. I looked it up for myself and brought the information to my doctor. I liked that it was an oral medication. He knew about it and discussed if it would be a good option for me. My doctor told me about the risks and benefits of Otesla. He highlighted the most common side effects, including diarrhea, nausea, upper respiratory tract infections and headaches and tension headaches. After discussing the risks and benefits of Oltesla, he gave me a starter kit. I've been on Oltesla since the spring of 2017. Everyone's experience may be different, but it worked well for me. And did your plaque psoriasis improve? Actually, it did. When I first started taking Oltesla, I experienced some nausea. It bothered me, but my doctor told me it was a possible side effect and it became less frequent over time. Again, this is my personal experience. Other people may be different. About four months later, I began to notice changes in my skin. The redness and flakiness of my plaques were diminishing. So have you thought about dusting off your old bowling shoes and heading back to the lanes? Yes. I competed in London in 2018 and Austria in 2019. I most recently competed in Puerto Rico in March of this year. I was scheduled to go to the national championship in July, but of course, that competition was canceled. Yes, there have been more than a few disruptions in the past month, and that must have been a huge disappointment. I imagine that our listeners have also had similar cancellations and interruptions in their lives. One thing that people with psoriasis can't afford to do is disrupt their treatment. So how did you manage your plaque psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis over the past year? Hearing the news that I needed to stay home and that I couldn't see my regular physician struck a chord of fear in me. It's so important that I stay connected with my doctors. At the end of March, when everything in New York shut down, I called my doctor right away. He told me to continue to take a Tesla. He set up a video call and was able to see my skin. There was a point where my doctor was able to assess my condition on a video call and prescribe a treatment. Being able to see and talk to my healthcare team made all the difference. Because of telehealth, I could still see my doctor. It's like I'm in their office. I don't know if I would have made it without my doctor's encouragement and telling me to keep taking my medication. And did you find communicating over video with your doctor difficult? If so, how did your doctor help you feel more comfortable? The first visit with my dermatologist, there was an issue with the sound. So he improvised between the phone and computer, and we were able to communicate. He asked me to upload images before our appointment, and that really helped me feel more comfortable because I didn't have to disrobe while I was on the phone with him. I could just show him visible parts like my elbow or my leg. Well, thank you so much, Cindy, for sharing your story. To share the physician perspective, Dr. Jennifer Song, a board-certified dermatologist and clinical professor, is with us today. Dr. Song has been practicing dermatology for years. Dr. Song, you've been on the other side of the video screen seeing your dermatology patients and providing continuity of care. So from your perspective, what's important for people living with psoriasis to know about telehealth? How does it work and how can they use this resource to get the health care that they need? Cindy, your early challenges using telehealth are quite common. I'm really happy to hear that you were able to work through the technical issues. Unfortunately, early on in the pandemic, some major hospitals were telling dermatologists that they weren't allowed to see patients in person. There are still serious skin concerns, and I realized that we needed to care for our patients in a different way. 
Telehealth is a way to do that. Many patients aren't aware it's available. I allow my patients to choose the platform they'd like, whether it's Zoom, FaceTime, WebEx, Skype, or another platform, as long as it's secure and easy for the patient to connect to. I'm happy to use whatever is easiest for them. There was a definite learning curve at first. Sometimes it would take me or the patient 15 minutes to log on correctly to a call, or the sound would be on mute. Technical issues like that. But I learned a lot about technology over the past few months, and I love telehealth now. It's convenient. I get to follow up with the patients. I can check in with them to see if they have side effects or if they are experiencing improvements. Telehealth can be the perfect solution for patients who just need a refill so their skin doesn't get worse. I think telehealth works best for patients who are already established. When my staff schedules the appointments, I prefer to do a full skin exam in person. But if coming into the office is not possible, we ask patients to send a photo in, just as Cindy's doctor did. That helps me see the skin well and to figure out what's going on. And as a doctor, how would you like your patients to prepare for their telehealth appointments? I tell them to be in a quiet place with good internet connection and a window for natural light. It's better to use a handheld device rather than a fixed camera on a computer if I need the patient to show me a place of concern on their bodies. And at what point do you feel a patient should seek an in-person visit? Well, for a single lesion check, it's too hard to look at a photo and make a diagnosis. I want to see that patient in person. If I can see the skin well in the photo, most of the time we can start treatment right away. Then if the patient doesn't respond in one to two weeks, I'll ask them to come back in person. Like I mentioned before, for a routine skin check, I just can't see the skin in enough detail to do a thorough job. Well, it sounds like telehealth has found its place in healthcare. Dr. San, do you think that you'll continue to provide that service post-pandemic? I love it as an option. I would definitely continue to use it. The big thing is if insurance companies will continue to allow it. It's also important for patients who may have lost their health insurance to know that there are many resources available to help cover the cost of their medications as well. Call the National Psoriasis Foundation or check with your doctor or even the pharmaceutical company. And Cindy, what about you? Do you see yourself using telehealth post-pandemic? Absolutely. When given the option, I'll ask for a telehealth visit. It's more convenient and I don't have to take as much time out of my day. I save money on parking and save time getting into the city. Right now, it's a no-brainer. The more I limit my in-person visits to healthcare clinics, the better. But I do realize that eventually I'll have to have blood work and go into my doctor's office for that. Otherwise, I'd rather continue using telehealth. So Cindy, what tips do you have for our listeners about how to fit telehealth into their lives? What can they do to make the most of their next virtual visit? You should have proper lighting, a quiet room away from others. Check and make sure your sound is working. Some of the apps do audio tests. Also make sure that any pictures you want to show the doctor and any documents required are uploaded before the visit. Your doctor's office will tell you how far in advance they need to receive them. And Cindy, do you have any final comments for our listeners about managing psoriasis no matter what's going on in the world? I've learned there may be setbacks in managing my psoriasis, but if I stay calm, there are workarounds. Some people may be worried and aren't going to their doctor's appointments or maybe stopping treatments, but telehealth can be an effective way of being treated and has helped me address my disease. It's important to utilize the tools that are given to us. Now it's my preferred way to visit my doctor when I need to. 
trust your doctor, and always be an advocate for your care. That's so true. Cindy and Dr. Song, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your experiences. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today, virtually, of course. Yes, thank you for allowing me to share my story today. I'm happy to support the National Psoriasis Foundation. Well, thank you for that acknowledgement and for your support of the foundation. If you need help finding a physician or would like information about treatment options, please contact the National Psoriasis Foundation's Patient Navigation Center at 1-800-723-9166, option 1, or by email, education at psoriasis.org. This sponsored episode is brought to you by Amgen. Please continue listening for important safety information about Otesla. You can get the full prescribing information in our podcast episode description or by visiting otesla.com. Approved Uses Otesla Apremalast is a prescription medicine approved for the treatment of adult patients with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis for whom phototherapy or systemic therapy is appropriate. Otesla is a prescription medicine approved for the treatment of adult patients with active psoriatic arthritis. Important Safety Information You must not take Otesla if you are allergic to Apremalast or to any of the ingredients in Otesla. Otesla can cause severe diarrhea, nausea, and vomiting, especially within the first few weeks of treatment. Use in elderly patients and the use of certain medications with Otesla appears to increase the risk of having diarrhea, nausea, or vomiting. Tell your doctor if any of these conditions occur. Otesla is associated with an increase in depression. In clinical studies, some patients reported depression or suicidal behavior while taking Otesla. Some patients stop taking Otesla due to depression. Before starting Otesla, tell your doctor if you have had feelings of depression or suicidal thoughts or behavior. Be sure to tell your doctor if any of these symptoms or other mood changes develop or worsen during treatment with Otesla. Some patients taking Otesla lost body weight. Your doctor should monitor your weight regularly. If unexplained or significant weight loss occurs, your doctor will decide if you should continue taking Otesla. Some medicines may make Otesla less effective and should not be taken with Otesla. Tell your doctor about all the medicines you take, including prescription and non-prescription medicines. Side effects of Otesla include diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, upper respiratory tract infection, runny nose, sneezing, or congestion, abdominal pain, tension headache, and headache. These are not all the possible side effects with Otesla. Ask your doctor about other potential side effects. Tell your doctor about any side effect that bothers you or does not go away. Tell your doctor if you are pregnant, planning to become pregnant, or planning to breastfeed. Otesla has not been studied in pregnant women or in women who are breastfeeding. You are encouraged to report negative side effects of prescription drugs to the FDA. Visit www.fda.gov medwatch or call 1-800-332-1088. Please read the full prescribing information for Otesla on otesla.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.